I always ask myself, could I make more of a positive change in the world by doing something other than arguing with this person about this topic? Welcome to Teach Me Something New. I'm your host, Britt Morin, and this is a production of iHeartRadio and Brit & Co. All my life, everyone's told me I should focus on being good at one thing. But the truth is, I'm curious about a lot of things. But how do you learn about everything? The answer? Make the world's best experts teach you in less than an hour. So come along with me as we all learn something new. I think we can all agree that talking about politics in 2021 is not easy. We're either battling misinformation or butting heads with friends and family on our various viewpoints, which can be pretty exhausting. But today's guest is no stranger to a little poly talk. In fact, she became a viral sensation on Instagram by taking on internet conspiracy theories and debunking them with nonpartisan facts about the U.S. government. This week's expert is Sharon McMahon, also known as at Sharon Says So online. She's a former high school government and law teacher on a mission to combat political misinformation one gram at a time. She's built an audience of over 600,000 followers on Instagram, teaches a governments for grown-up workshop, and has a new podcast launching this spring under the same name. Today, she's here to give us a refresher on the U.S. government lessons we may have forgotten since school and some advice on tackling those tough conversations. Welcome to the show, Sharon. Yay. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. Yes. Well, this has been a crazy year for you. I can only imagine. But before we get into that, let's go back to the beginning. When did you first start paying attention to politics? Were you like very into all of this stuff as a kid? I absolutely loved politics when I was a teenager. I was the teenager who took my babysitting money and bought a Newsweek subscription with it. So I have been interested in this topic for as long as I can remember. And yeah, it's just been a natural passion of mine and it has never really wavered throughout my adulthood. Where did that come from? Like, was it a teacher that inspired you, your parents? Like, were you just watching the news all the time? I had a teacher in 11th grade that I absolutely loved. And he was my, you know, world studies teacher. And he, he did for me, like he lit that little flame inside of me. He would, you know, videotape the news on the VHS and like would show us news clips the next day. And we would just talk about like what was actually going on in the world. And I don't know what it was about that, but I absolutely loved it. And I'm still doing the same thing that he did for me in high school. Yeah. Yeah. You're like paying it forward. That's like so beautiful. Does he know that you're doing this? I'm assuming. I don't know. <laughs> I think he's retired somewhere. I don't know where he is, but he was a fantastic teacher. He really was. Aww. Well, I'm just going to like pray that somehow he listens to this podcast and <laughs> hears you say that because that was so sweet. So now you have become a high school government teacher. And what are some of your favorite lessons to teach? I always love to talk about the Constitution because there's so much to dissect. You know, like you can make almost anything related to the Constitution. What does the Constitution say about education? Like you can take almost any topic mm. and really relate it back to this governing document. It's always one of those things that's just, I never get tired of talking about it. 
So you're basically like the cool teacher we never had. So what skills from your career in education have stuck with you most? Is there anything that's translated especially well for your following now on social media? You know, I think one of the things that I always tried to do when I was in the classroom every single day is I always wanted to help develop critical thinking in students. And one of the biggest ways I did that was by always playing devil's advocate. Whatever your position is, I'm going to challenge your position. And it forces you to think critically about like, why do I actually believe this? You know, like we can all say, yeah, everybody should have a free and appropriate public education. That's something we should have in America. But why? Mm. Understanding the whys behind your already held beliefs is more important to me than trying to convince you to think a certain way. So my goal was always for students to be left wondering, like, I have no idea what she believes. She argues with everybody. (laughs) (laughs) I still do that. My goal is not to get you to think like me. It's to get you to have an educated opinion for yourself. And I do that in part by not just trying to convince you that my opinions are the right opinions. I love that. And I wonder how many of your students and or social media followers do have strong opinions versus the opposite, which might be just as bad or good, like not having an opinion at all. Like just, I feel like so many political topics, I just am like, oh, I could see both sides. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about all these different things. And is that bad to not have an opinion? It's not. No. You know what? People ask me that regularly. Like, I don't know how I feel about this. Is it wrong that I don't have a strong feeling about this? And my answer is always the same. No. What that says to me is I have not formed a strong opinion. Thus, I am open to hearing new information, gathering more information before I decide. To me, that's actually a great thing. If you're like, I don't have an opinion on that. I have zero issues with that. Great. Someday, maybe you'll be forced to make an opinion on that and you will have done that with a larger amount of good information than somebody who just is like, absolutely not. Forget it. I'm not willing to listen to anything about that topic. Yeah. And so much of it is about education, right? Like for some of these topics, especially as we were going through the the election last year and all those different candidates on both sides, you know, we talk about whatever, gun control, abortion, like all these different things. But then there might be some more niche topics where I'm like, I just don't feel like I'm fully educated on this enough to have an opinion. And I don't want to be one of those people that just like, does what my party line does or does what my parents say to do. I want to get educated, but I'm not yet. So I'm just going to like play out, (laughs) like tap out of that one. I think that is a perfect response. I am not educated on that topic yet. So I have not formed an opinion. That is perfect. Say that all day long. I have nothing but respect for that. Mm -hmm. I haven't formed an opinion on every topic. Like, should we use lithium batteries in this electric car? I don't know. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I don't have an opinion on that. And there's nothing wrong with saying, I am not well-educated enough on that topic to have formed an opinion on it. Give me more of that in America all day, all night. Why? Because do you think most people are just jumping to conclusions without being educated? Yes. And then they're making decisions that are not rooted in any kind of fact. They're just based on like, well, this is what so-and-so says, so I'm going to go with that. But in reality, they don't have any data or reasons or facts or anything compelling to back up what they're saying. They're just going with it because somebody told them to. 
We need a lot yeah. less of that and a lot more. I haven't made up my mind yet because I'm not well educated on that topic. Well, I know. Trust me. I mean, I grew up in Texas. I've got red blood in me, but now I live in California. I've got blue blood in me. I've got all kinds of blood in me. <laughs> I'm like, it's confusing. But at the same time, I'm so grateful for it because I really can see the spectrum of why people would think different ways on different opinions. And I think I've been really blessed in having both of those backgrounds. But to your point, like the facts are what people should be looking at. And that's probably part of all this like misinformation that's happening out there. So where do you go to get the facts? Like, how do we know if a place is really vetted or not as we are looking for that information? That's such a great question. I get asked that all the time too. Like, how do I know if what I'm reading is real? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, wouldn't it be nice if we had like one source that was like, here's the real truth. Yeah. Like the bipartisan source of truth is all I'm asking for. Yes. <laughs> okay. So obviously the gold standard is a primary source, right? That's the gold standard is going to this source of the data. So if I'm looking at a chart on Twitter, I want to know like, where did this information come from? Right. I don't want to just be like, well, that chart says terrible things and I believe it. From this follower, I don't know who they are. Who are yeah. you? I don't know. Too many people are like, it agrees with my already held viewpoint, so I believe it. And they don't spend any time considering whether or not the source of that data is reputable. Who collected that right. data? Who aggregated that data? Who made this chart? Is that source a trustworthy source? So mm -hmm. primary sources to me are always the gold standard. And then another thing that I look for, if you can't find a primary source for something, is are multiple people of good reputation saying the same things? And what mm. I mean by good reputation is, do they have standing in the community that they come from? So if you are a scientist, are you a reputable scientist among other scientists? Totally. Is what XYZ person saying, does that align with what other people who also have education and training on this topic, are they saying the same or similar things? That to me makes that information more reputable than just like a right. dude in his mom's basement making cute charts. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. So what are those topics? What do you think that the average citizen should go and get informed about? Well, I mean, everyone cannot care equally about everything. And I think that is part of what causes burnout in people where they're like, I mm -hmm. have reached my compassion quota. I cannot equally care about every single one of these topics. So therefore I disengage. Yeah. I can't do it all. So I do nothing. And mm -hmm. I think that's the wrong approach. I think the right approach is to acknowledge Absolutely. You cannot do everything. You can't fix this whole country. You can't fix voting and world hunger. You can't fix immigration mm -hmm. and you can't fix the environment. Like you cannot fix all the things personally. Right. What I would say is important to be informed on are topics that you feel drawn to. Mm -hmm. I feel like those topics are on your heart for a reason. You're mm. drawn to them for a reason. For me, obviously, it's education. For other people, it's me medicine. Too. For other people, it's mental health. Exactly. Yeah. Everyone has something that they are drawn to. And very often, what you're drawn to aligns with your gifts and your passions. And I yeah. really think we should all be operating from our gifts and our passions. That is what 
our life's work is. So become informed on the topics that you feel passionate about, and then try to do something around those topics. Can't do it all, Mm. but everyone can do something. That's a really great point. And it's funny that you say that because I, especially going through a political cycle like we did in the fall, to my point earlier, I was trying to like figure out where my stance is on climate and gun control and abortion and all these things. <laughs> like it's so overwhelming with COVID, especially. I was just like wanting to cry. Like I was so anxious, frustrated about everything. But it's funny because the answer might have been right in front of me. My life's work is in pushing women forward. I, in this last year, in addition to running my company, Britain Co., launched a program called Self Made, which helps women become entrepreneurs. 60% of women of color gives all women equality in learning how to make their own revenue, but also started a venture capital fund. And my primary investments I'm looking at are in education, childcare, and healthcare, namely mental health. So, like, It's so obvious to me which topics I should care about, especially in this new administration. Universal childcare is something I should be like very excited about, trying to learn more about what's the legislation looking like on this topic, et cetera. And that gives me really great direction. So I'm already learning something new. Thank you, Sharon. (laughs) You are given those passions for a reason. Yeah. Not everybody is going to care about childcare and mental health the way you are. And you make a difference in the areas that you care about. Exactly, because now I can go help lobby for things that I really am feeling strongly about or create even just awareness around using my internet presence, right? So what are those topics for you? Like you mentioned education, are there more? Well, you know, education, obviously, you can be educated in a variety of topics. Yeah. But to me, One of my life's passions is just helping Americans understand how their government functions so they can affect the changes that they want to see. It is really hard to change something you don't understand, right? Like if you know your heart is not functioning correctly and you know you need a heart surgery, you need a surgeon who understands how the heart works to actually fix the problem. Yeah. If we have problems in this country, which we do, everyone agrees we do, we have room for improvement. We do some things very Mm -hmm. well. We have room for improvement. It's really hard to make those kind of changes if you don't even understand how it works. And Mm -hmm. we have learned now that just going on cable news and screaming at each other doesn't actually (laughs) change anything. (laughs) No. Well, it changes the advertising dollars going into the television industry. It changes the pockets of a few individuals, but it doesn't actually change anything for the average American other than it makes them feel hopeless. And it degrades their mental health. So to me, just understanding how it works, that's something I feel passionate about. I also feel so passionate about um, giving, philanthropic giving. And when Mm -hmm. I say the word philanthropy, to me, that word sounds very... uppity. (laughs) Yeah. Like, oh, I'm going to give a million dollars away, but it could be 10, right? Or your time even, right? Philanthropy does not have to equate to like, I gave enough to have a new wing at my children's university. (laughs) You know what I mean? I really believe that giving is revolutionary, not just to the recipient, but revolutionary to the giver. And I Mm. feel very passionately that individuals absolutely can 
make a difference in the world. Even though they feel like their $10 doesn't Mm -hmm. do anything, part of what I feel passionate about is showing people that actually your $10 can radically transform not just the recipient, but also you. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My kids are six and almost five. And so we are beginning to start the whole like savings piggy bank stuff. And I'm going to make three mason jar savings banks for them. One for spending, one for saving, one for giving. And, you know, I'm not super into like allowances for the sake of allowance, but I love the idea that I can maybe give like X number of quarters per week and they can put one in each jar and they can be really thoughtful at the end of each year about which cause they want to give their giving jar to and maybe even like go deliver that to the hospital or to the whatever. And so just teaching kids from an early age that that's just part of the vernacular of how we use money, but also time like we talked about. So I love that. I think that's brilliant because we're also a country of citizens that are here to like love thy neighbor, support one another. And especially after the year we've been through, I think we could use more of that right now. I'll use more of that. And what a great way for you to model to your children that that is important to you. And someday when your kids are adults, they're going to be able to say, my mom taught me from the time I was a little kid that giving is just something that you do. It's not optional. It's not, oh, only if you have extra. It's not only if you have a million dollars. It is just, it's expected. Yeah. In whatever way that you can. Not everybody can give a million dollars, but everyone can do something. Well, and to your point, it helps you think about the causes that are on your heart, right? Which are probably aligned to the types of things you should care about in this government, right? Like for me, again, like I would want to be giving to organizations that support women and girls or that support mothers or that support mental health. And like, that's just natural for me. And like I said, that aligns to what I'm passionate about. So Yes. If you're listening out there, what are those things that are you're so passionate about that could also align to your giving and your government? Yes. Those passions are there for a reason. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. First of all, you have a, a massive Instagram following. Does that surprise you? <laughs> yeah, it kind of does. It kind of does. Um, I'm so grateful for it though. I yeah. truly feel like I have accumulated. I've picked up the best people on the internet. Like, are you friends with these people? You DM with them all the time? I have looked at my statistics and on some days I receive nine to 10,000 DMs. On some days, what? 
Okay. So you don't DM with everybody. I can't answer every DM because I literally, that's not an exaggeration. On some days I get five figures of DMs. Thanks for answering mine because I think I DM'd you. (laughs) That's how we met. (laughs) Yes. So yes, I do talk to people all day long. I really do. Yeah. Obviously, I can't respond to every single one, but I talk to people in my community all day, every day. I see how their hearts are aligned with mine in terms of wanting to change the world one person at a time. Your one little candle can light a lot yeah. of other candles. So that to me, it's just encouraging. It is heartwarming. I am just very grateful for my community. It's hard for me to even put into words how grateful I am for them. I love that. I feel that as well. And I can only imagine though, the types of questions and comments you get, like, are there some really obvious commonalities of the questions you're getting right now about current events, current politics? Yeah. I mean, some of it is cyclical. It's based on what's happening in the world. So as of this recording, we are talking a lot about criminal justice. There's a lot about, Mm -hmm. you know, like the the Derek Chauvin trial is going on right now. Um, People want to know about all of the things related to trials. So maybe you're not familiar with, do juries have to be unanimous? And what happens if they can't be unanimous? What would happen Mm. then? And why does the defense take so much less time than the prosecution? And what actually is a reasonable doubt? You know, so a lot of what we discuss is related to things that are actually happening in the world, you know, like more broad overarching themes. One of the things I really enjoy doing and I hear that people get a lot out of is listening to understand where other people are coming from. So taking a topic and then getting feedback from people from varying viewpoints. If you're a moderate, what do you think about immigration? If you are a liberal or conservative, what are your thoughts about our current immigration system? How can we improve it? And it lets people see where the other side is coming from without it devolving into a huge argument. Mm -hmm. You have seen the comment sections Uh, of every news organization. like Slash like family dinners. (laughs) My broader family. Yes. Yes. It's not fun to read because it just becomes name calling Mm -hmm. so quickly. So this is a way to really put your fingers on the pulse of what somebody else is thinking without the name calling, without the screaming, without Mm -hmm. the arguing, without all of the negative consequences that that comes with. Right. Because again, you're rooting it in facts as much as you can and showing the spectrum of viewpoints, which seem to be like the two most critical things, right? Yep. And understanding where someone else is coming from is important. It doesn't mean you have to agree with them. By listening to how you might feel about universal childcare, even if I don't arrive at the same conclusion, I've still learned something. Yeah, exactly. And that's the whole point. Right. What are some of the wildest conspiracy theories you've helped debunk? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Well, I mean, I've talked extensively about the conspiracy theory of QAnon. That's been something that I've discussed over and over again, which is there's zero facts to support it. And it actually has caused a lot of damage to the United States. It's not one of those things where it's like four people in a cabin in some remote part of the country decided to believe it one day. Like the number of people that believe it, it's been a large enough number of people that it has caused significant damage to the United States. Mm -hmm. You know, a number of the people who broke into the Capitol and caused the death of five people, you know, like that, that some of those people were believers in this conspiracy theory. 
So once we start moving out of the realm of just like, wow, some people think that into the real world of like, I'm taking actions based on these false beliefs. That's when it starts crossing into that kind of dangerous territory. Mm -hmm. And in your opinion, is QAnon still spreading and will it ever be contained? Is this just something we're living with now? Like there's this portion of people that think one way and there's the rest of us or, or what? Well, I mean, since QAnon has gone Q, the person who is alleged, the alleged government operative, which is not actually a real person, but regardless, since they have gone dark, meaning for the past almost three months now, they have posted nothing. Oh. And that is because we know who Q is. Who is Q? Wait, yeah, back up, back up. For anyone out there who's like, what? What's QAnon? Can you just give a little like explainer on this? Sure. <laughs> Q is allegedly, again, they post as a person who has a top secret government clearance, a Q clearance, which okay. means that they are privy to the utmost, the highest level of secrets in the United States government. So first of all, the entire premise is false. There is no such thing as a Q clearance. That's not a real thing. They made it up. Okay. But a lot of people don't believe that. A lot of people think that it's real and it's not. Okay. Secondly, the premise is that there is a secret group of people that work in government known as the deep state who run a child sex trafficking ring along with a bunch of Hollywood stars and that they traffic in literal children babies and children, and that many of them are killed, many of them are kidnapped, etc. And the theory is that Donald Trump is a person who is secretly fighting this group of sex traffickers. Okay. Like he's trying to end it? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. Okay. So it's like, you know, if you're a QAnon believer, you're really happy that Donald Trump is trying to fight this group of sex traffickers. Okay. Yes. And where are they posting all of these pictures of their sex trafficking and things? Well, there's no pictures. There's no pictures. There's no evidence. <laughs> so there's literally no data that this is happening. There's no evidence of it. But where yeah. the conspiracy started is on a message board that is known for its trolling, doxing, trafficking in porn. It's a message board that was started by this gentleman who began the message board during his career in the United States Army in an effort to trade Japanese porn and get around some of the Japanese porn trafficking laws. What is the message board called? It's called 4chan. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's now transferred to, you know, like 8chan and it's morphed Mm -hmm. into all of these other, you know, message boards. But it literally started as a joke to see how many people they could get to believe this. That was literally how it started. And then how did it spread? Like news outlets started reporting that this was true? It started spreading via social media. It started spreading via social media, not via news outlets. There's almost no news outlets, reputable news outlets, who are like, this might be true. You know what I mean? (laughs) But there are some being like, QAnon is not real. Is that right? Yeah. So okay. the yeah, Anons yeah. are the people who follow Q. Anons are the okay. followers of Q. And so uh-huh. Q drops these coded messages on the message boards. And the coded messages are things that are, they seem like gibberish. They say things like, 
zebra zebra 419. Okay. It's not like, Hey guys, there's a secret <laughs> tunnel. Go look there and you'll find the children. You know what I mean? It's literally a coded message that the Anons then need to decode. Uh. And the decoding is where a lot of these beliefs come from. <laughs> so they're like, he said, zebra. Obviously, there are black people and white people that are stuck somewhere in a bunker. <laughs> it's more like Z is the 26th letter of the alphabet. What uh, else is number 26 in the world? We can point to that. the 26th tweet of this person. Like it's literally that amount of oh my God. trying to decode. So it's a brain teaser on social media that's just like playing telephone. But you know, when you play telephone, did you ever play it when you were swimming and you did it under the water and you had to try to say it to your friend's ear, but because the water muffles it and then you have to pass it on like 20 people. That's what QAnon is <laughs> because you're the 20th person coming up under the water trying to deliver the message. It's like an alternate reality video game. By saying that Q has not posted anything for three months, that means like no weird message has gone on the message board for three months. Right. You know, like there's just okay. this big documentary that just came out about QAnon on HBO in which the documentarian believes that he has exposed the people who are behind this. And you can oh. directly correlate this one gentleman's final tweet when after Biden was inaugurated, where he was like, well, guys, we did what we could. I'm paraphrasing, yeah. but he was like, we did our best. And since then, Q has posted nothing. So in your opinion, are we done? Is Q anon over with? Or do you think there's going to be like some crazy? It's morphing. It will just morph okay. into other things. Okay. And then Q might come back too. <laughs> this is like a storybook. I feel like I'm reading Harry Potter right now. <laughs> like, are we in the sequel or like which version of the book am I in right now? <laughs> you know, when you are a believer in a conspiracy theory, part of what makes you want to believe that is the community that comes along with it. The yeah. idea that only you know the truth about something. And that feeling is a very powerful feeling that only you, the people in this group know the truth. And so mm -hmm. you cannot discount the psychological effects of belonging to that community, meeting your friends there, taking actions, having aligned mm -hmm. visions and goals. If you just pull the rug out from underneath that, it's very destabilizing to a group of people. Mm -hmm. And those people need to go somewhere. Most of them do not just overnight snap their fingers and say, you know what? I don't believe anymore. Bye-bye. You know what I mean? Right. It's a gradual process for people. It's, it's like it. a breakup. You don't just wake up the next day after a breakup and you're like, I'm over it. <laughs> yeah. Like you end up getting back together a couple of times and then you're over it. Yeah. <laughs> Even if that person hurt you, that person cheated on you, you still mourn it. You still have to get over right. it. You know? So yeah. there will be a period of time Ugh. where it will morph into other things. It already is. It's already morphing into other things. In your opinion, this is the catch-22 question. Is social media making politics and the political system worse or better? It's both. You know, it's both. In many ways, it's making it a much more challenging environment to operate in. Before, if you wanted to get news on something, you had to read the newspaper or you had to watch the evening news, right? And both mm -hmm. of those things, in order to even get a spot in the newspaper or on the evening news, it needed to be really, really newsworthy. If it bleeds, it leads, right? If you have uh -huh. 30 minutes to report the news, 
and you got to cram all that stuff in there. It had better be newsworthy. And now we are operating in this system where we have to fill the airtime with something consistently. And so we're generating stories that are actually kind of non-stories. We're generating Mm -hmm. stories about things that you're like, why are we talking? This is not a thing. This is not a thing that really can happen. So that's part of the challenge is that Pandora's box has been opened. The internet is never going anywhere. And it it's it's going to be impossible to wrestle that back into the box. So we are stuck with that. We're going to have to figure out how we can move forward using social media as a positive tool instead of what it has become over the last couple of years. So what should our listeners do if they post something that gets a bunch of divisive comments on it? Should they respond to each of those comments, get in a fight with people, not respond, delete the comments, delete the posts? Like, how do you feel like we should engage (laughs) in all of this moving forward? Okay. So first of all, you have to take responsibility for what you're posting online. You have to take responsibility for what you are reposting. You cannot just repost something because you think it sounds right. You are responsible for your digital legacy. You are responsible Mm -hmm. for the information you are putting out into the world. Even if you like it, even if you're like, I think that's right. If you are not willing to take the time to verify that it is in fact correct, don't repost it. So that's the first thing. Mm-hmm. Secondly, if you do feel like, wow, this is important information that people need to know, I'm willing to take the heat for it, and you post it and people are unhappy with you, you know, there's a few ways you can handle that. One is to just engage with nobody and say, I said what I said. It is what it is. And walk away from that. That to me, though, is kind of like breaking into somebody's house and being like, I have some things to say to you. Bye. <laughs> and, and leaving. You know what I mean? It, in a lot of ways, it can do more harm than good. So mm-hmm. to me, my rule of thumb is, am I willing to have a constructive conversation surrounding this topic? And if I'm not, then it's not something that I'm willing to post about on social media. If I'm not willing mm-hmm. to engage in a constructive conversation about this topic, then it's not worth my time. If it's not worth my time to engage with you on, it's not worth my time to post about it. What about the inverse of that? So I have a friend who is a very, very, very close friend, like was in my wedding. I hope I'm not giving this away to anybody who knows me well. (laughs) I think she's a QAnon supporter. And Anon, I guess I should say. I've seen her post about like the sex trafficking stuff and whatever. Am I responsible for being like, hey... I think you're full of crap. I think you should look at better sources. Like, should I say something? Should I just not say something? I don't want to like lose a friendship, but I also think it's kind of wacky. I don't know. Mm -hmm. That's a great question too. What is the right way to handle a friend or family member that has kind of gone off the rails? And there is not one rule of thumb that I can give you that's like, here is always the right way to handle it. So much of it depends on your relationship with the person and to what extent you have the bandwidth to engage with them on that topic. I always like to ask myself, could I make more of a positive change in the world by doing something other than 
arguing with this person about this topic. Because Mm -hmm. I am a human with limited bandwidth, I have children, I have a job, Mm -hmm. I have important things to do in the world. What is the best use of my limited time? For some people, Mm -hmm. let's say you have a friend who's suicidal. In that situation, the best use of your time is to save their life, right? Do what you can. Yeah. But in other situations, you have to use your own judgment. How can I affect the greatest change in the world? Is it to intervene with this friend or is it to continue to promote what I believe in, to continue to be the positive change that I want to see in the world? So Mm -hmm. answer that question for yourself. Then you can decide, do I want to have a conversation with them about this? Is this something I have the bandwidth to do? And the real kicker is you have to be willing to listen to where they are coming from before you mm. start sharing your opinion. That's true. That's a really good point. Even about QAnon. <laughs> People will listen if they feel listened to. Well, this is a life lesson, everybody. Like, trust me, I've done a lot of therapy. <laughs> like <laughs> Empathy and vulnerability is the first step in understanding and communicating. I've learned this very well. <laughs> I'm a very strong-headed person sometimes. So it's like, obviously my way of thinking about it is definitely the right way. Like, right. I don't know why anyone would think about it differently, but yes, I definitely agree with you. Even on even on topics that feel conspiracy-ish. I get it. So I really do get yeah. it. I understand. As somebody who is very, wants to lead always with facts, my natural reaction is like, come on now. Come on now. Well, I bet you're like fact, 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 fact. Instead of like, you probably have to be like emotional, ask more questions, ask the why, let's get to understanding where you're coming from. And then fact, 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 fact. And you bury them in the deep. (laughs) (laughs) I would be really afraid to be in a conversation with you and be like, okay, you're right, Sharon. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Do you know my friend Adam Grout says that he grew up and people used to call him a logic bully. Oh, yes. Adam's been on our podcast and I love him. He's a really good friend of mine, too. He's adorable. And I very much relate with that. Like, I refrain from being a logic bully sometimes and work on leading with that empathy. It's not necessarily Mm -hmm. my natural, like, default. Same. Yeah. Do you know your Enneagram number? I'm a three. Have you done that? Oh, me too. Okay. So that's why we're best friends. I get it. (laughs) We're all logic bullies out there in the world (laughs) that just want to be right and be perfect. Exactly. Okay. So I have to ask you, you have been literally a government teacher for so many people. So what are some of the most interesting facts about the U.S. government that might blow our mind? Mm, That is a great question. I think if people really understood what it took to get to this point, And the incredible work that was put into the country at its formation. And this is not to say that bad things did not happen during the formation of this country. But when you look at the obstacles this country has overcome over and over and over again, if you look at the idea that during the winter of during the Revolutionary War, if you look at the fact that 25% of the deaths in the army where people were dead from smallpox, like the devastating effects, that illness, lack of supplies. You know, we think we have it bad now with the pandemic. So many people have lost their jobs. People have died. It's been such a traumatic time. 2020 was not good for anybody. We think we have it bad now. We have no idea what people have been through and the Mm -hmm. shoulders that we are standing on to even be able to go on the internet 
and have a Zoom meeting and to have a podcast, to even be able to stand here today is on the backs of hundreds of thousands of people who gave their lives, who were enslaved people who died from illness, the women Mm -hmm. and children who sacrificed, yeah, who get no credit in history. Uh, I know. That's insane, right? If you look at, you know, Abigail Adams making cuts in her children's arms to put smallpox in there in hopes of saving their lives, you know, like scraping smallpox sores off of a dead body and putting it inside her children's arms. Yes. Oh my gosh. This is the earliest form of vaccination called variolation. Then here's another interesting thing. George Washington ordered the entire army to be inoculated against smallpox using variolation. Whoa. So they go to a person who's recovered from smallpox. They're covered in sores. Sometimes that person might have just died. They scrape the sores off. I'm literally about to vomit, but okay, keep going. (laughs) They make a small cut in a person's arm or a puncture wound, and they stick the, the scabby smallpox down in there in the hopes of, it's essentially exactly how a vaccine works, introducing a tiny amount of that illness into your body, hopes you will build antibodies against it and it will keep you from dying from smallpox. So George Washington ordered the entire army be inoculated and then consequently the deaths dropped dramatically from smallpox after that. Wow. That's insane. How big was the army at that point? Like hundreds of thousands, millions? That's a lot of- Tens of thousands. Yes. Tens of thousands. Okay. Don't you have an interesting story with RDG and the Supreme Court? Yes. I worked for two years to get tickets to go to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court looks really big from the outside and it looks like this massive building that could hold a lot of people, but it's not inside. So I worked for two years to get tickets to take a group of students to see oral arguments in front of the Supreme Court, not just to like tour the building, but to actually sit there and listen. And so the case that we finally got tickets to, it was not a landmark case. It was not anything where it was like, and we were there for Roe versus Wade. It wasn't like that. That would have been pretty amazing. It was just some kind of boring (laughs) case that, you know, most people wouldn't even care about. But one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is that each side gets 30 minutes to talk in front of the Supreme Court. A light goes on, they get to talk, and that's it. And then you're done and goodbye. There's no evidence. There's no like... So it's like a one hour total thing. Total. No witnesses. None. Zero. Always? That's always the way with the Supreme Court? Yes. What? (laughs) And then they make their decision, which could be like life or death. Yeah. And they read the hundreds of pages of lower court transcripts. They become very familiar with the case from reading all of the history from the lower courts before it gets Mm -hmm. to the Supreme Court. But if you are granted a hearing, which is not guaranteed at all, you get 30 minutes to present your case. And that's it. That is all. Literally a light goes on. When the light goes off, you're done. And then during the 30 minutes, they interrupt you all the time. The justices interrupt you constantly and eat into your time. No. It's not like you give a 30-minute speech. You begin talking and they will say, okay, let me stop you right there. Let me interrupt oh, you. Are you trying- that throws you off. Yeah. Ooh. How do you make all your points in the amount of right. time that you have? So anyway, we get down there and this man begins talking and he's making his presentation. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg said, I'm going to stop you right there, sir. And he said, yes, yes, Your Honor, what is your question? And she said, you are arguing this case on faulty logic. 
And he was like, oh, well, uh, 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 you know, like, how do you come back from that? And then she said, yeah, do you want to continue arguing this case in faulty logic? <gasps> oh, no. He like peed his pants. Yeah. Yeah. Like he was like, no, I'm done. Yeah. What <laughs> happened? What happened? He was like, no, your honor, I do not wish to argue this case on faulty logic. And I think if you'll, you know, give me a chance to continue making my points, you'll see that it's not faulty logic. But she already knew what he was going to say because you file your brief paperwork. You file your paperwork ahead of time with your main arguments. So they already know what you're going to say, basically. Okay. And she already knew that he was done. (laughs) Like literally, he spoke for about one minute before she told him he was arguing his case on faulty logic. She's so cool. Is she like as cool in person as I would expect her to be? I haven't spent time with her personally, but she looks precisely as you see her on television. Yeah. They have these huge chairs, massive chairs, and she is such a tiny, tiny woman. (laughs) So she was there with her hair, you know, like pulled back in her low bun and her lace collar. She looks precisely as you would imagine her. Mm, That's so cool that you got to do that. I love that. What a good story. So one of my last questions is, what are some resources you can give out to people, whether it's websites, networks, Instagram accounts, like who and what should we be going to for real information? I know you said scientist, if it's a medical topic, et cetera, but like from a news perspective. Sure. One of the sites that I always recommend is called All Sides. And they have an Instagram account, All Sides Now. They have a website, allsides.com. And what they do is unique in that they will take a headline topic, let's say it's related to immigration, and they will present that topic from three different viewpoints. They will take a news organization who leans to the left, and they'll give you an article that'll say, here's what the left is saying about it. Here's what the center is saying about it. Here's what the right is saying about this topic. And one of the things that I find valuable about that is then, you know, because humans naturally seek out information that supports their already held beliefs, because of that, this helps you move out of that mindset of like, I'm only going to read Fox. I'm only going to read CNN. And it allows right. you to see multiple viewpoints about an Mm. issue and maybe consider something you hadn't thought of before. It is a little bit narcissistic to think that one person has all the good ideas or that one party has all the good ideas, right? I mean, this country is what it is because many people had multiple good ideas and we kind of mushed them all together. I really appreciate being able to go to one website and see all this information in a concise fashion instead of having to constantly like, okay, let me Google. Okay. Searching. Let me go to CNN. Let me go to Fox. Yeah, exactly. They do all of that legwork for you. Cool. I love that. Yeah. Again, they're not writing the stories. They are taking them from other reputable sites. Yeah. They're sort of curating them so you can see the spectrum. Precisely. Uh Cool. Yeah. And obviously we'll follow you at Sharon's system for all of your information and facts. But, you know, my last, 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 last question, which I think you'll love as an educator, is that we always like to leave our listeners with homework for the week. So what is one homework assignment that you will prescribe to everyone for this week? <laughs> this week, I really want everybody to go to a news website that they don't normally read. And Mm -hmm. one website that I would recommend, maybe, I mean, if you already read this, pick a different one. But one news website I would recommend is the Associated Press. 
Oh. The Associated Press is an incredibly valuable organization that almost every other news outlet in the world relies heavily upon. And Mm -hmm. the AP News, the Associated Press, is a network of reporters all over the world. And they are literally like in the field, like a story's developing in Ukraine. They get stories from people who are actually there. It's not mm-hmm. just people speculating. They're real reporters from all over the world. And so the AP Wire, it's called, is something where they release these news stories to all of these other outlets, Fox, CNN, Newsmax, MSNBC, all of the other news outlets use AP information to help write their stories. So in mm-hmm. many ways, the Associated Press and then a similar organization called uh, Thomson Reuters, which is spelled okay. R-E-U-T-E-R-S, they do the same thing. These are both like the news wires that all mm-hmm. of these other outlets are getting their information from. So this is a great way to kind of get more primary sources in your life to see what people on the ground are actually saying about these topics. So instead of just clicking on CNN or Fox or whatever your favorite news outlets are, I would encourage you to at least incorporate this week, try going to AP News or APNews.com or Reuters.com and reading the actual news wire that other people are getting their information from. I love that assignment. That's a really good one. In fact, I don't go to APNews.com enough, so I would like to do that this week. I'm going to do that this week. Sharon, where can we find you, follow you, hear you, all the things about you if we want to stay connected? Thank you. So my Instagram account, as you mentioned, is at Sharon Says So. I also have a website where you can sign up for my workshops. My website is just my name, SharonMcMahon.com. It's also linked on my Instagram account. I also have a Sharon Says So Twitter account. But yes, thank you. Yeah. This has been so informative, so enlightening, and so fun. So as always, thank you for making a topic that can feel heavy, actually understandable and fun. Trust me, I think we all appreciate that these days. (laughs) Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Teach Me Something New, a production of iHeartRadio and Brit & Co. I'm your host, Britt Morin. Find more information about each episode at Brit.co slash listen. You can also find me on social media. I'm at Brit or follow us at Brit and Co. Teach Me Something New is executive produced by Allie Ives and Allie Perry with additional production and sound design by Mark Lemmerjazy and Aaron Peterson. 